John 8:31 through 36, 51 through 59. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered him, truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Truly, truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. Uh, we are today finishing a series in which we've been looking at a number of statements that Jesus made, very famous statements called the I Am Statements, and we've actually looked at all seven of those statements, so this morning is a, a bonus session. Um, we're getting a bonus I Am Statement this morning, and this I Am Statement really is unique from all the others uh, because whenever Jesus made these statements, he got different reactions from people. Some people got confused. Other times people were angry. But nobody ever tried to kill him, except this time. When Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, out come the rocks. Now, why is that? It's because Jesus was making a claim. And the claim that he was making represented a direct threat to something that, that these folks held dear. It was something so special, so precious, so sacred that they were uh, willing to kill Jesus in order to protect it. Now, what is that? Well, it's the same thing that is the value above every value in our culture. It's the goal above every goal in our culture. It's the one thing in our culture you don't mess with. It's freedom. 
Uh, you know, and here's how we say it in our culture. In fact, you can probably uh, can finish the sentence for me. Everyone should be free to live how? However they want, as long as they don't hurt somebody else. That's how we say it in our culture. We have a unique understanding of freedom and a unique emphasis on freedom in the history of the world. But here's the thing. It's still a core longing, a universal human longing, and it exists in every human being. So, for instance, what are the first words little babies learn to use? Um, Yes, hopefully, mama or papa, but after that, when little children are first starting to gain a sense of self, and, and acquire a vocabulary to express that sense of self, what are the first words they use? No and mine. Those are freedom words. Those are words that we use to define the range of our effective will. That's a phrase that actually comes from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was one of the greatest Christian writers of the 20th century, and he defined God's kingdom as the range of God's effective will. That's a great definition. But, but he said, that applies to human beings too. We all have our own little mini kingdoms, the range of our effective will. And from early childhood, we all begin learning how to define that range using words like no and mine. It's the longing for freedom, the longing for autonomy and self-determination. Jesus comes along and says, I can offer you a real freedom, a truer freedom, a deeper freedom. But it means letting go of the freedom you think you want in order to get the freedom you really need, and that's scary. So what does all of this mean? What is Jesus really offering us to us here? Let's see three things in this morning's passage. We're going to see a frustrated longing, there's a radical claim, and lastly, there's a counterintuitive yet wildly generous offer, okay? A frustrated longing, a radical claim, and a counterintuitive yet wildly generous offer. So first, there's a frustrated longing, Um, At the beginning of this passage, Jesus is talking to some of his Jewish brothers and sisters, and, and he says this to them. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus basically is making an offer. He says, I can set you free. Now, they're offended by this. They say, we've never been enslaved by anyone which is a little weird if you think about it because Jewish people throughout history have been one of the most oppressed and subjugated people groups that have ever lived. They were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. At the time of this passage, they were living under Roman occupation. So what are they talking about? Well, they're not talking about physical freedom. They're talking about inner spiritual freedom based on their relationship to God. They would have looked around at all the pagans in the world around them, all the Romans and the Greeks, and they would have said, you see those people? They're the ones who are really slaves. They're the ones that are always partying and living however they want, but not us. We're the good people. We're the moral people. And amazingly, Jesus says to them, you're not free either. You you are just as much slaves as they are. Jesus is telling profoundly devout moral, religious people that they are just as enslaved as the godless, immoral, irreligious people. Now, how can that be? Well, he gives us a little parable to help us understand how this is. And and you see it in verse 35. Jesus says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
He's talking about a Roman household. Uh, in a Roman household, you know, you'd have a servant, and the servant would live in the house, would have lots of privileges. They would eat there. They would sleep there. But if the servant blew it, um, they would get axed because their relationship with the father was based on their performance. The son, however, um, even if the son would blow it, the son would never lose their position in the household because the son's relationship to the father wasn't based on their performance. It was based on unconditional love. So Jesus is telling these good religious people, he's saying, yes, you are very good and moral people, but you believe that your relationship to God is determined by your religious performance, and that means you're slaves. You're just as enslaved as the irreligious, immoral people. Now, why is that? Let's think about it. You know, as I just mentioned, our culture has a definition of freedom that says everyone should be free to live however they want, as long as they don't harm anyone else. We have a really unique view of freedom in our culture. Um, so, look, a lot of people in our culture nowadays are not religious people, and yet we have this view of freedom. It's based on, um, on, on our modern view of what human beings are. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Modern science rejects the idea that the universe and human beings have any purpose. That means that for the last few hundred years, uh, our society has been built on the idea that every human being has to create meaning and purpose for themselves. So the idea is that, um, that none of us has any lord and master, that we're free. The tragic irony is that's impossible because the reality is we all give ourselves to something. We're all going to have some kind of Lord and Master. We're going to live for something, and whatever that something is, that's our Lord and Master. So, for instance, I've been reading a number of articles recently about something called hustle culture. Uh, those of you in the workforce could probably tell me a lot more about this than I can tell you. But hustle culture is basically this idea It says, look, you should be changing the world. So get out there, find a job you love, and just give yourself to it. Hustle culture has slogans like, thank God it's Monday, or um, don't stop when you're tired, stop when you're done, or as Elon Musk has famously tweeted, no one ever changed the world on 40 hours a week. Hustle culture, basically, it's like a performative workaholism that encourages people to work 80, 90, even 100 hours a week, and then post about it on social media. Now, why is that? Here's how one of the articles I read put it. It says, work has evolved from a means of material production to a means of identity production into a kind of religion promising identity, transcendence, and community. The problem with this gospel that says your dream job is out there, so never stop hustling, is that it's a blueprint for spiritual and physical exhaustion. Our jobs were never meant to shoulder the burdens of a faith, and they're buckling under the weight. Now, this is just one example, but here's the point. Um, even if it's not career or money or success for you, maybe it's romantic love, maybe it's your family, maybe it's a, a political cause, but every single one of us, there's no such thing as not having a Lord and Master, Every single one of us does have a Lord and Master. Even if you're not a religious person, you have a Lord and Master because you've given yourself to something. You're not free. But here's Jesus, and amazingly, he's talking to religious people, and he's saying, you're not free either 
because you believe that your religious performance determines your relationship to God. That means you're a slave because your relationship is based on your performance with God. Jesus is saying, look, if you believe that your moral performance, okay, being a good person, or being on the right side of history, if you think that gives you a right relationship with God, or if you believe that your religious performance saying your prayers, obeying the rules, or, or your spiritual performance, the disciplines that you do, if you think that gives you a right relationship with God, then you are just as much a slave as any non-religious, immoral person. Both of those are forms of slavery. That's what Jesus is telling us here. Friends, he's saying that whether you're immoral or moral, whether you're irreligious or religious, um, all of us are slaves because we all want to have control over our lives when in reality we're just simply giving ourselves to some Lord and Master other than God. And the scary thing is we don't know we're doing it. And there is no slavery greater than not knowing you're in slavery. There's no bondage deeper than the illusion that we're not in bondage. So here's the first point. We have this longing for freedom, but that longing is frustrated because every single one of us gives ourselves to some other lord and master. There's no such thing as having no lord and master. The only choice we get is which lord and master. And that leads to our next point. We've just seen this frustrated longing. But secondly, there's a radical claim in this passage. And really, this whole sermon series is all about this claim because over and over again in the Bible, Jesus claims to be God. And he does the same thing here. Um, and, by the way, it's, this is not just in some Eastern spirituality kind of way where Jesus is saying, you know, we all have the spark of divinity within us. That's not what he's saying. By the way, the, the Orthodox religious people in this passage, they know that's not what he's saying because when he says it, out come the rocks. So what is it that got them so worked up? In verse 53, you can see the, the confrontation is starting to escalate here. Um, they say to Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham? Who do you make yourself out to be? They bring this up because Abraham to them is a spiritual giant. Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel, and so they're thinking to themselves, Jesus, are you saying that you're actually greater than Abraham? And Jesus says, oh, you want to talk about Abraham? Okay, let me tell you. Uh, before um, Abraham was. Abraham actually looked forward to my day. Abraham looked to my day and he rejoiced. And that really sets them off. Now, what is Jesus talking about? When he's talking about my day, he's talking about a very specific thing. You know, in the Bible, Abraham and all of the prophets and all of the other major characters in the Bible, uh, they were all looking forward to something called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day when God will come back, when he will put an end to all injustice, all war, all poverty, all sickness, suffering, and death. It's going to be the day when God will put an end to all of that. He'll renew the world. That is the day of the Lord. And Jesus is saying, that day is my day. I'm the one that Abraham was looking forward to. And so these people in this passage, they're standing there and they're thinking to themselves, we can't believe that Jesus is really saying what it sounds like he just said. So they try to get around it. Um, they say to him, Jesus, you're not even 50 years old, and um, are you telling us that you saw Abraham who lived thousands of years ago? And that's when Jesus drops the bomb. In order to remove any possible misunderstanding, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
And as we've been seeing throughout this series, I am is the divine name of God. In Exodus chapter 3, when, when God reveals his name to Moses, he says, I am who I am. Uh, by the way, this also shows up in Isaiah chapters 41, uh, chapter 43, chapter 46. It's all throughout the Bible. God says, I am. He says, I am the, the uncreated creator of everything that exists. I am the uncaused cause of all things in the universe. I have no beginning. I have no end. From all eternity, I am, and there is no one else like me. This is the claim that Jesus is making. He's saying, that's me. It's the most radical claim that every human, any human being has ever uttered in the history of the world. And that's what sets these people off. And, you know, by the way, Jesus doesn't make this claim just to spout off or to show off. He's doing it to provoke them, and he's also doing it to provoke you and me because Jesus is trying to push us off the fence about him. In other words, when you begin to see who Jesus really is, you can never just stay neutral to Jesus. You can never just say, well, Jesus was a great teacher. He won't let you say that. Jesus says, I'm not just a great teacher. I'm God. I created the universe and everything in it. I have the power to forgive all sin. And your eternal destiny depends on your relationship to me. You know, if you were walking down the street and you met somebody who said that to you, would, you wouldn't think that person is a great teacher. You would run as far from that person as you possibly can. No human being who says things like that is a great teacher. No human being who says things like that is worthy of your attention much less your ultimate devotion. When people say things like that, when people say, you know what, I really am the greatest. Nobody's as good as me. I'm the best at anything that ever was for all time. When people say things like that, you know, we have someone like that in the most important office in the country right now. And when he says things like that, that undermines his credibility to say the least. Jesus is saying, you can't just stay neutral about me. If you're trying to stay neutral about me, it's because you're not neutral about some, something else. There are only two responses to Jesus that have any integrity. Either you worship him or you pick up rocks to kill him. Because either he is the most deranged and dangerous person that has ever lived or he's God. But there is no in-between those two things. And by the way, I understand, you know, there are a lot of people that would say, well, look, Jesus never really said those things. All those statements were things that were added into the gospel accounts of his life many years later, but it, it's all just a legend. The real Jesus never said stuff like that. I'm sorry, that won't work, because if you were to go through the gospel accounts and remove every statement, every claim to divinity that Jesus ever made, whether implicit or explicit, you really wouldn't have very much left. From, um, the textual evidence is simply overwhelming that Jesus really did say these things. It's what got him killed. If you try to stay neutral about Jesus, it's because you're not neutral about something else. Because every single one of us, every day, we're making decisions about how to live our lives, uh, what to give ourselves to, what to value in life. We're making those decisions on the basis of some view of spiritual reality. Even if you say that you're an agnostic, even if you say, well, who's to say what's true about spiritual reality? The most important thing is that we just try to be good people and make the world a better place. Don't you realize what that is? That's, you can't make a statement like that without all kinds of faith commitments about 
what kind of world this is, what kind of beings human beings are, what we should give, um, what gives our lives meaning and purpose. You, you start digging into a statement like that and you will uncover all kinds of faith assumptions. Don't comfort yourself with, um, with the thought that you're simply remaining neutral. You're not neutral. You never have been. Jesus is pushing us off the fence here. He's saying, you have to deal with my claim. Deal with me. He's saying, deal with my radical claim because you're in bondage and I want to set you free, but the only way that happens is if you respond to my claim and accept my offer. And that leads to our last point. We've seen this frustrated longing that we all want to be free, but in reality, we give ourselves to other lords and masters. And we've seen this radical claim that Jesus makes. He says, I'm God and I'm the only one who can really set you free. But lastly, we see here, there is a counterintuitive yet wildly generous offer. Because only now that we've seen these first two things are we really in a position to understand this offer that Jesus makes in this passage. Um, Going back to verse 31, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, that word abide, we were looking at it last week. It's a very important word in the Gospel of John. It means simply to make something your home, to dwell there. Matt did a great job last week. He said, you know, you could think of it as it's what you're sticking with. You know, it's what you make your home. So every day you go about your business, but then every night you come home. Home is what you keep coming back to over and over. It's what you're sticking with. It's it's where you're abiding. Because remember what we said, you are going to give yourself to something. You are going to make something your Lord and master. In other words, you're going to abide in something. Jesus is saying, give yourself to me. Make your home in me. Abide in me. And so he says that if you do that, then you're my disciple. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple simply means someone who's following Jesus. That's living the way Jesus lived, doing what Jesus says. But notice the logic of his statement here. Jesus says, if you abide in him, then you're following him. And then if you follow him, notice he says, then, future tense, you will know the truth. And then, future tense, the truth will set you free. Do you see the order here? First you follow Jesus, then you get free. Because the more you follow Jesus, the more you know him. And the more you know him, the freer you get. And this is one of um, the most counterintuitive, yet wildly generous offers that has ever been issued to humanity. Because did you notice at the very beginning, it says that Jesus was talking to people who believed in him. These were people that believed in Jesus, it says. But then as we go throughout this conversation, we find out that these folks actually have some pretty serious doubts about Jesus. So much so that by the end of the passage, they're ready to kill him. And yet, Jesus' offer still stands. Do you realize what this means? Jesus is saying, look, you may not be sure about me. You may have doubts about who I really am, but just follow me. Just, fo- just come, walk with me. Because the more you follow me, the more you know me, and the more you know me, the more you get free. Let me make this, try to make this as clear and as practical as I possibly can. Basically, Jesus is offering us, he's saying there's two bars you have to clear in order to know me and to get free. There's a low bar and there's a high bar, and they have to go in that order. The first bar is a low bar, and it's the bar of of just beginning, of entry into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is saying, 
just come and start walking with me. No matter, even if you don't know what you think about me, even if you're not sure about me, just come start walking with me. Come start following me. Really low bar entry. In fact, it's such a low bar, it's no bar. Again, look at the people in this passage. They don't know who Jesus is, and he's saying, come follow me. Or look at the disciples. They didn't know who Jesus really was when, when they first started following him, and Jesus just said, he invited them. He said, come follow me. It's like in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, the very famous statement that Jesus made. He said, come, all who labor and are weary and heavy laden, come follow me and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, look, are you burdened? Are you weary? Just come follow me. Is your life a mess? Is your life a failure? Just come, just start following me. Do you have doubts about me? Do you, do you wonder? Are you not sure about who I am? Just come follow me. It's such a low bar. It's no bar. There is no other religion in the world that offers you this low a bar, really no bar, of beginning to get into a relationship with God. There's, you don't have to um, clean yourself up. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to pass a theological exam. Gee, all you have to do is just step out onto the road and start following Jesus. But once that happens, here's the deal. Um, the more you follow Jesus... The more you get to know him, the more you find out who he really is. Now, remember his radical claim. Who is this? Who is this really? As you follow Jesus, what happens is this. Eventually, you get to a point where you have to start dealing with this claim. Eventually, you get to a point where either you're going to worship Jesus or you're going to pick up rocks to kill him. But if that point never comes, then you haven't met the real Jesus and once you cross that line, okay, that line of faith, you, it might be a point in time you know exactly when it is, or it might be a process you have no idea when it is. That's what happened to me. But once you cross that line of faith, in other words, once you say, Jesus, you are my Lord, and I give myself to you, I worship you, you are my Lord and Master. Once you cross that line, all of a sudden, there's this really high bar expectation on how Jesus wants to change your life. Really high bar expectation. Jesus wants to transform everything about your life because who is he? He's the only true Lord and master of the whole universe. And that means that he wants to transform everything about you. He wants to transform the ways that you use things like sex, money, power, the way you navigate relationships, the way you treat people, the way you respond to criticism, the way you respond to enemies, people that are trash-talking you. He wants to change everything about your life. There's this incredibly high-bar expectation on what Jesus really wants to do with your life once you commit to him, once you cross that line. Now, here's the danger, both for Christians and for non-Christians. The danger for Christians is this. A lot of times we get those bars backwards. In other words, a lot of times Christians will say, look, if you want to get in a relationship with Jesus, here's what you have to believe. You have to have the right doctrine. You have to have the right theology. They set this incredibly high bar for getting into a relationship with Jesus. But then when you look at their lives, they look just like the rest of the world. Nothing's different. Their, their lives look just like everybody else. They've got this incredibly high bar for getting into a relationship with Jesus, incredibly low bar for what it means to follow him. It's no wonder the world criticizes the church. But here's the danger for non-Christians. If you're here exploring faith in Jesus this morning, here's the danger for you. It's really easy to look at that high bar expectation for how Jesus wants to change your life 
and let it keep you from ever crossing that first low bar, no bar entry point into relationship with Jesus. It's really easy for people who are exploring faith to think, oh, if I become a Christian, then how's my life going to change? What am I going to have to give up? Am I going to have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Am I going to have to stop spending all of my money on myself? Am I going to have to stop trashing people on social media? Am I going to have to start practicing forgiveness and kindness to people that are my enemies? God's going to change everything about my life, and I don't know if I want to do that. You know, if that's you, if you do that, you've gotten the bars mixed up too. Just like Christians, non-Christians, it's very easy to put that high bar expectation before the low bar entry point. We've got the bars mixed up. And the reason is because we've got conditions for what it means to follow Jesus. We've got conditions. And whatever your conditions are, don't you realize that's your real Lord and Master? Your conditions are your real Lord and Master because real freedom does not mean having no Lord and Master. Real freedom means having the right Lord and Master. Real freedom means that you're giving everything to a Lord and Master. You see has already given everything to you and for you. That's real freedom. And if you do that, if you really come to see who Jesus is, then, then here's what happens. You know, you can start following Jesus right now. You could just step out on the road with him and start following him right now. That, that bar of entry into relationship with Jesus is such a low bar. It's no bar. You just get out on the road and start following him. But once that happens, we'll, you know, we'll never be able to live the life that Jesus really calls us to live. Not perfectly. Yes, one day on the day when Jesus comes back to renew the world, then we'll be able to live the life he calls us to live. But, but right now, today, We'll never be able to do that perfectly, but Jesus did live a perfect life for you. He lived a life so good, so pure, so true, a life so beautiful and brilliant, a life so shining and coruscating with the light of a million stars, and on the cross, Jesus gave that life in order to redeem you from all of your false lords and masters and make you his own. You know, God says to every single one of us, Will you give yourself to me? And each one of us, our rebellious, controlling hearts, like little children, we all say, no, mine. But, but we don't want to surrender the range of our effective will. But on the cross, God the Father said to Jesus the Son, will you give yourself for them? And Jesus said, not no, mine. He said, yes, theirs. He surrendered the range of his effective will. On the cross, Jesus gave everything for you so that you could give everything for him and to him so that you could have a relationship with God that's not based on your performance. It's based on Jesus's performance. That is a relationship. That is an offer unlike any other. Friends, there is no other Lord or master in this world or in this universe who does that for you. And if you begin to follow Jesus, if you really get out on the road and start following him, at some point when you really begin to see who he really is and you're contemplating if you're going to take that step, cross that line, and give everything to him, at some point everybody has this conversation with Jesus and the conversation goes like this, Lord Jesus, what is it you really want from me? And Jesus says, why, everything, of course. But I don't just want your slavish obedience I don't just want, um, you know, your, your mere slavish obedience. I don't want you 
um, going back into this performative workaholism, this spiritual hustle culture where you're just living a life that feels a pressure and a burden of giving everything to me. You know, by the way, a lot of you grew up in religious environments like that where there was always this pressure, always um, this expectation that you've got to be radical for Jesus, you've got to be missional for Jesus, and, but in a very performative kind of way. So much so that you always felt very burdened to live like that. It wasn't freeing. It was very enslaving. And yet Jesus is saying to each one of us, I don't just want your slavish obedience. If you think that following me, Jesus is saying, that all that means is, is, is that you live a really moral, ethical life, being a really good person, without worshiping me, without giving yourself to me as your Lord and Master, all that does is send you back into the same spiritual hustle culture. It's just a performative workaholism. That's all that is. But he's saying, if you really give yourself to me, I want everything. I want your heart. I want your mind. I want your will. I want everything. And the only reason, the only way that you could possibly give everything to this Lord and Master is because you see that he's the only Lord and Master who's given everything to you. No other Lord and Master will do that for you. They just take and take. But Jesus just gives and gives. It's the only Lord and Master that does that for you. If Listen, if giving everything to Jesus, if it feels like everything, in other words, if it feels like a burden, if it feels like you're just getting sucked back into this performative workaholism, then you haven't met the real Jesus and you haven't really received the offer that he's extending to you. Because here's the deal, giving everything to Jesus will never feel like everything if Jesus is everything to you. Giving everything to Jesus will never feel like everything if Jesus is everything to you. So if you're here this morning and you're exploring Christianity, just get out on the road and start following him. Just try him on for size. Jesus says, you know what? You can always take your will back at any time. You can always have those old lords and masters back anytime you want. He's not going to stop you from doing that. Just get out on the road and start following him. But if you are a Christian, in other words, if you've crossed that line and you said, Jesus, you are my Lord and master, then have you taken his yoke upon you? You know that famous statement I talked about in Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you messed up? Are you a failure? Come to me. Super low bar entry point. But then he says, if you do, take my yoke. High bar expectation for what it means to follow him. But notice what he says about that yoke. It'll never feel like everything. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Giving everything to Jesus will never feel like everything if Jesus is everything to you. Jesus says, just come to me. Have you taken my yoke upon you? In other words, if you're a Christian this morning, is your life different? Are you different today than you were when you first started following Jesus? Is Jesus really changing you? If that's not happening, then, then you really should ask yourself, have I really met the real Jesus? Have I really given myself to him, made him my home, or am I still serving other lords and masters? Friends, giving everything to Jesus will never feel like everything if Jesus is everything to you. And if it does feel like everything, if it does feel like a burden, if it's this performative workaholism where if you do well, you get proud and superior to other people, but if you fail, then you get fearful and despondent. If that's what it's like, then maybe you haven't met the real Jesus. Get out on the road and start following him. He wants to change everything about your life. Give yourself to him. Let him change your life. For if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed.
Let's pray.